It's really more about using technology intentionally and feeling good about it. The goal is not to throw your phone away. It's actually to love it again. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and check movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to episode 214 of the Biohacker Babes. I'm Renee tuning in with my sister, Lauren. Hello. Hi, everyone. This is Lauren. Welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome. We have an awesome guest coming on for you today. But before I share that with you, pop quiz of the day, Lauren. Oh, I felt it coming. Oh, gosh. Oh, <laughs> I mean, my question is going to kind of give up, give away the episode. But what is the number one digital habit you are going to focus on after today's episode? Uh, one? I have to do one? Just one. Just number one. Where are you going to focus your energy? Mm, I think I want to kind of reinstate my nighttime boundaries and I need to check in because I really thought that I had a do not disturb default on my phone that turns on, I want to say around 10, but we were just talking after. So I guess context for everyone, as soon as we finished this interview, Renee and I were like, oh, what are all the things that we can do install for us as business partners to be better about our time and our our use of devices. And um, with our time difference, we always end up talking like right before I go to bed. And so, um, and thank you to my beautiful sister, Renee. She was like, you don't have to respond to me at nighttime. But, you know, there's that drive of like, oh, I'm wanted, needed. I Now I want to respond. And also it just kind of feels good to check it off the list. But I think I'm going to try to reinstall my boundary that I had before of like, I can get a message. It can wait until tomorrow because I have been super guilty in like, especially in the last few months of doing those last minute phone things, like until I go to bed. Yeah. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Nighttime. Yeah. Getting off the phone a little earlier. Yeah. I will say I do get a reply from you saying that you have it on uh do not disturb mode. I think it might be like 10 o'clock Eastern or something. I do get that. But then I'm not expecting for you to respond. Sometimes you do respond. I'm like, oh, she is awake. Mm. So, but check that setting. And and I think it's something that our amazing guest had shared with me before is if you don't have the time and energy to reply, don't don't read it. So I know this this is hard and I'm guilty of this as well. But like if you're going to bed at 10, like don't even look at your phone after nine. Because of course, if you see that text and you don't respond, then you're going to get in bed and think like, oh, well, how do I want to respond to that? Oh, I should have responded. Oh, now I have this message there. It's like, mm -hmm. just don't even know that it's there. And his example was if you're going into like a business meeting and you're like, oh, let me check my phone one more time. He says, don't do that. Because then you go into the meeting and your brain is thinking about, What's on your phone? I forgot that you shared that with me, and I'm not even sure that I connected that it was him that said that. 
But I think about that a lot when I'm about to start a call. I now do not check my phone because you're right. It does. It like lingers. And I'm pretty sure he had a term for that in the podcast, which you guys will hear. hear, Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Oh, yeah, he does. Yes, yes. Okay. So our guest, Tommy Sobel, he is just, oh, my gosh, such a pleasure to chat with. And I did get to meet him at the HealthSpan Summit earlier this year. And uh, my husband, Ryan, was with me. And actually, we met him before the conference started. We were just chatting in like the break room area. And Ryan and I immediately were just like blown away by by his energy and just everything he was saying. And then we got to hear him speak. And I was even more blown away. Uh, He is the world's first digital habits coach. So I'm going to take a guess that this is new information to most of you. You know, I think there's not a lot of awareness around our relationship with our digital products. And and Tommy even said, like, there's no, we're not manual. taught how, there's no <laughs> manual. Yeah. Like he says, you know, to learn how to drive a car, you go to driver's ed, right? There's many analogies there. But with your phone, you know, for us, like we got our first cell phone in high school. I mean, that was back when all it did was call people. But I mean, it's just been exponential since then. And we've never really learned how to handle this. So he, I think one brings really, really great awareness to the topic, but then he also has a lot of great solutions. It's not mm-hmm. just throw your phone in the trash. It's how do we create boundaries? How do we set up this healthy environment? How do we implement different strategies so that we can use the technology to, you know, help us optimize our day in many ways, health, productivity, relationships, but but just creating that that healthy relationship, I think it's just so so essential. And I I love what he's doing. And and this was a great episode. He shares a lot of great tips and kind of helped us with some of our personal challenges challenges when it comes to technology. Oh yeah, super yeah. grateful, super grateful for that. And I think his mission is really aligned with what we're trying to do on the podcast, which is create a greater health span and with health span it's like living more joyous years, right? Like getting more out of our day-to-day interactions but also for the rest of our lives being able to do the things that we love and kind of get out of our own way in a sense. And I think our devices are sucking us in quite a bit. So um, I really love that he's just trying to create a better relationship with these devices. So we already know you're going to love Tommy. And I (laughs) wish we had him still here with us right now because he's just so much fun. So yeah, I know. I need to shoot over to LA and hang out with him sometime. Yeah. All right. A little bit more about Tommy. So Tommy Sobel is the world's first digital habits coach, having helped thousands of busy leaders and high achievers reclaim tens of thousands of hours of productive time. Using his background in neuroscience and behavior reconditioning, Tommy trains smartphone users to improve their relationship with screen through coaching, proven systems, and community. So they can reclaim 20 plus productive hours each week, grow their business faster, and enjoy more time off. Prior to being the world's first digital habits coach, Tommy had a career at DreamWorks Studios where he assisted Steven Spielberg and became the first junior executive in their burgeoning digital department. Before the entertainment industry, Tommy worked as the key researcher and co-author of neuroscience studies alongside PhDs at Duke University and UCLA. All right. Hey, Tommy Sobel, let's do it. Okay, welcome, Tommy, to the Biohacker Babes. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Excited for this chat. 
Yes, this is uh, going to be a different conversation than I think our listeners are used to. But I think it this is such an important topic because, well, one, it's 2023 and people are on their phones and tablets and computers and things all the time. But as biohackers, we are kind of attracted to some of that, right? We have all the data on our phones and things like that, which it's kind of this double-edged sword. It's like, we want the data because it's going to help us optimize our health, but we also don't want to be attached to the data in our phones all the time because it's very distracting from our productivity or maybe health goals. And, you know, it's, it's taking us away from time that we could be spending elsewhere throughout the day. So you are the world's first digital habits coach. So awesome. And I think you just have so many great tips that you're going to share with our listeners today. Um, I first got to hear you speak back at the uh, summit. We met through Elias Arjan back in, when was that? April, May? March, it's been a while. Maybe. Yeah, maybe March? May. Oh my gosh. I think it's been it was a while. May. Yeah. So um, I got to learn a lot of great tips from you that day that I've already implemented, and I'm excited to learn more and share with our listeners. And I will also just throw this in there. My husband, Ryan, who I talk about on the podcast a lot, he happened to be at the summit with me that weekend. And you were his favorite part of the weekend. He wow. was just like, I, he definitely has phone addiction. He, I, I'm not throwing him under the bus. He admits that. So hearing from you that day, he was like, I have to make some changes. And he really did after that. And um, maybe we'll, we'll get into some more of that in the, in the show today. But I think to kick things off, I would love for you to share your story with people. Like, how did you first realize that maybe your relationship with your phone wasn't ideal or healthy? Perfect. Perfect. Well, I'm so glad that it, it means so much that your husband resonated with that conversation because I remember it so well and he's such a great guy. I'm so happy to hear that that it was helpful yeah. for him. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, my story, you could say that it began when I was in the film industry. I was working as a uh, film director's assistant for a number of years. And at one point, he promoted me to a new position in the company at the studio, uh, at DreamWorks Studios, as the like new media executive. And so I basically had to figure out, okay, what is this film studio going to do on YouTube and Snapchat and Instagram and TikTok and 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 VR and podcasts. And so it really was an incredible opportunity. I was like the first one in the department. I really wanted to prove myself. I really wanted to show that I deserved to be an executive and not an assistant anymore. Um, something that I really, you know, I wanted to be a creative producer. And so when I got this amazing opportunity and I just uh dove in head first. And the next thing I know, I'm checking my phone first thing in the morning. I'm checking it last thing at night. I'm waking up in the middle of the night to check it. I'm checking it while driving. I'm checking it in social situations. And I probably already had bad phone habits before that role, but with the added self-assigned pressures, uh, there was, it was like, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't keep up. There was always a new video to watch or a new app to try or, you know, a new influencer to to learn about. And so um, this was back in 2015 and it started to affect my mental health. I started to feel anxious and irritable and I was single. And so I was on the dating apps and I was going on all these first dates 
and uh, nothing was coming of them. And it was because I was like already married to my my job. I didn't know that until later, but I was just kind of this feeling overwhelmed and under accomplished in my business and in my personal life, really trying to make things happen. And, so, you know, I think I realized that if any was addicted to their phone, it was, I didn't know anybody else was struggling with this back in 2015. There were no screen time apps. There was no conversation or digital wellness or digital well-being. And so I thought it was my own private, shameful, embarrassing problem. I thought I was the only one that couldn't put it down and was checking it even when I didn't want to, even when people driving on the street would honk at me on the road and glare at me. And then I would put my phone down and pick it back up again as soon as they drove by. Like it, it was bad. It, it was bad. And uh, it all kind of came to a head when I actually crashed into a car in front of me that was at a red light. And I just didn't see it because I was on my, my phone and every, everybody was okay. I was like, okay, I don't like where my life is. Going. I'm unfulfilled, unhappy. And I see, I can see that the life that I'm creating is not the life that I'm for and the potential I have. And so I just made a decision break my phone dependency. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know how long it was going to take. I didn't know what it would require of me, but it it really just started with that, you could say rock bottom moment of like a decision. And, you know, the truth is, is that everything starts with a decision. You have to say like enough is enough. I, I don't want to uh, struggle with this anymore, even if you don't know how. And so that really was an incredible turning point for me because uh, luckily I also have a background in neuroscience. Before the film industry, I did neuroscience research with some doctors at UCLA and, and uh, Duke University where I went to school. And so I understood through that the basics about how the brain worked and how habits were formed and how habits could be reformed, just a little bit about behavioral reconditioning. And so I really just started applying some very rudimentary practices on myself. I was like, okay, can I just put my phone down for one hour a day? Like, can I just do the smallest amount of phone free time? and uh, and replace that with with something that I actually love. So in my case, my favorite thing to do in life is to read. It's literally like what I would do on vacations when I was a kid and I would just like buy a bunch of books and pour through them. And it's just like my favorite thing. And so I have this bookshelf in my bedroom with like 150 books that I bought over the years. And I had only read like five of them. And so every single morning and every single night with me waking up and swiping and scrolling for 45 minutes, that bookshelf had been like glaring down at me, like a life that wasn't well lived. It was like, this is my favorite thing that I'm not doing. And so for my one hour phone free, I made the decision to, to read. And over the course of that year, I ended up reading 27 books which was amazing. I was like, you know, the information was great and and the the habit was amazing, but more importantly, it was the sense of agency that I created that I could actually put my phone down and do something more meaningful. And that is what I understand now is called a keystone behavior that you create one 
habit change and it creates this cascade of other positive habits because or positive experiences. Because what ended up happening with me is I decided to read at night. That was like my one brick hour, I called it. It's like turn your phone into a brick and do something that you love. And so for my brick hour of reading that night, I ended up spending that last hour screen-free. So I wasn't getting the blue light that I know you all talk about often that disrupts your circadian rhythm. So I ended up going to sleep, uh, sleeping more efficiently, sleeping more deeply. And then because I was charging my phone in another room, I then wasn't also reaching for it first thing in the morning. So I ended up having more time after sleeping better to connect with myself, to get clear on on creating positive momentum emotionally for my day with like a mindful moment. And instead of uh, like rushing out the door late to work, I ended up finally having time to like make breakfast. And I even started going to the gym before work. And so like that one, just one hour at night of going phone free to read really opened up the rest of my life. And so I started sharing that with others. I was like, hey, can you turn your phone into a brick for an hour a day and do something that you love in the world. And uh, some people were screenwriters and they wanted to write. Some people were musicians and they wanted to make music. Some people were authors or, uh, you know, various people. And I realized that they were also seeking this permission to get off the grid. They were seeking this permission to not be always on. And they ended up having amazing results as well. Like one guy was like, actually, I realized I, do not like Instagram. And he ended up deleting Instagram for like six months, which, you know, wasn't my intention. Um, but they all got, got really amazing benefits. So I got so inspired by that, that I, you know, explored it even deeper. And I started working on buying like courses and coaching and therapy and research on addiction and OCD and, and like porn addiction, you know, especially and all these kind of things that all were related to that. And I ended up practicing it all on myself. And I went from being on my phone from probably like 10 hours a day down to an average of one or two hours a day. And people started asking me how I did it. And so I started just sharing what worked with me and the next thing I know, I'm like a digital habits coach. And so, so, you know, it all started with, with me making the decision, solving the problem for myself, or at least beginning to solve it for myself. And then there were certain people that saw me change and wanted to know how I did it. And I was able to make, make a really great business out of it. So, you know, if you were to look back now, that was probably about six years ago. Um, I've gone from being that anxious overwhelmed underachiever to having uh, uh, left the corporate realm altogether and now are, are, are building brick full time and now have, you know, making more money um, in, a, in a beautiful relationship. You know, we were just talking about my fiance. So I'm, you know, happily engaged and we're building a house together. And also while taking way more time off than I ever have before, just traveling and really having a lot more balance in my life and schedule. And so um, I think, you know, the thing that seemed so impossible to me six years ago, of uh, both making a great living and having a great life is now the skill that I teach. Amazing. That's journey. a beautiful story. I love it so much. I love it. I Thank love you. the equation of acknowledging the problem, being curious and figuring out how to solve it. And then rather than just running and being like, hey, I got a solution for everybody. You just modeled that behavior. And then it like mm. drew people in. That is so powerful. I love that. Thank you so much. Yeah. 
yeah, there's something special that I feel like you just said there that I definitely wasn't great at 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 the start, which was being curious about it. I think that that is exactly what I needed to do. And I did discover that curiosity. But I think at first I felt probably what a lot of people feel when they're first trying to change bad habits or change something they don't like about themselves, which was feeling like shame and like self-judgment. And, you know, I think I, I, one of the first things that I always work on with a client that does, you know, want to change this is to bring that exact point up is like, you probably are feeling a little embarrassed or feeling a little secretive or wanting to hide that you are not liking this part of yourself or your inability to control what you're doing and shame is actually a disincentive to habit change that when you actually have that self judgment you it's it's maladaptive and it's actually not helping you to create the change so if you can shift that a millimeter in a different direction more towards curiosity and being like hey i'm a scientist i'm here to like observe my own behaviors with curiosity as opposed to judgment that's approaching it from more of that growth mindset and flexibility as opposed to the fixed mindset like why am i not perfect now and that creates that space for you to actually explore and make the changes that you want to make so yeah i definitely had to discover that the hard way <laughs> that's fascinating cuz when you were telling the story about your rock bottom and you know hitting the car I was like, oh, wow, that's such a vulnerable moment. That must be really hard to share. But your energy was very much like detached from it. You were like, this mm -hmm. happened and we're going to move forward. And hopefully not everyone has to be in that situation where, of course, it's a terrible thing. But even if it's not a car crash, you can think about what other life events are we potentially missing just by being on our phone. And so I'm, I'm so inspired in, about all the other things we could could be doing with that time. And the word that's Absolutely. really sticking out to me is agency, creating agency. And I know there's so much mm -hmm. like neurochemistry involved, but there's also just like strategies and rebuilding habits. So it seems like the first step is acknowledging it. Yes. Would you pull a community into that? Like, what do you think this process is for people? And just like the acknowledgement phase, if that is step one. Yeah. In, in the kind of acknowledgement phase, which I've never thought of like that, spoken that way, but I, I love it. Uh, community does help really well. When I first was starting with this brick solution, you could say, like challenging people with that daily habit, it was very community oriented. Before I felt like I had solved it myself, I would actually just throw phone free events and retreats. And so I would create experiences where people could practice what I needed to practice with others. And being able to see other people experiencing the joys of a of phone free experience or practicing it or sharing their challenges with it creates a sense of camaraderie and accept self acceptance uh, when people can be vulnerable about it. You know that's and then there's this kind of positive peer pressure that can be created where it's like oh if they can actually be go come to dinner and like be present and not be distracted by their phone sitting at the table, then maybe I can too. So th there's a whole whole aspect of kind of rising tide raises all ships aspect to community. And we spent, I, I spent probably like the first whole three years of Brick only focused on the community aspect of it, bringing people together with uh, various types of fun events and retreats 
full weekends off the grid, um, like 50 people of different, you know, backgrounds. And that, that was really fulfilling for a lot of people. Mm, I love the positive peer pressure. That's fun. Yeah. You don't want to be the person on your phone when no one else is like, I think the more we put our phones away and, and you can feel the difference when you are out at a dinner or whatever, and maybe you are checking your phone and then you look back and you're like, man, I think I missed some of that conversation. Mm -hmm. Like your Mm -hmm. brain does not register that event the same way when you're constantly looking away. So I love the community side of it. And, and actually Tommy, something that was really cool after I heard you speak back in May, the screen time check on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, how you said go in and see what your screen time is. Mm-hmm. I immediately text the family group. We have a text string called the circle of trust. It's my mom, dad, Lauren, her fiance, and my husband and I. I said, okay, everyone, what's your screen time, your daily screen time? And <laughs> Lauren, I know, Lauren, well, Lauren and I, it's hard. I hard. This is maybe coming off as, as an excuse, but a lot of our work, <laughs> a lot of our work is on our phone, right? The podcast is on our phone, the Instagram, stuff like that. But then our mom chimes in and she's like, an hour and 10 minutes. I'm like, wow, yeah. But she works a full day, doesn't even check her phone kind of thing. But I was like, oh, that's pretty. One hour club. I was like, I want to be in the one hour club. Yeah. Teach us how to be in the one hour club if our very rarefied place require (laughs) digital interaction. So it's yeah. probably not going to happen is, is the short answer. So if your job, if your job is being on Instagram, uh, being on social media, uh, commenting or responding, unless you work for maybe like 30 minutes a day, uh, that's, you know, the numbers won't add up. When I was able to get into the one hour club, it, it required drastic measures. And so, you know, and that gets to, you know, potentially what could be worth talking about here, but, you know, um, it does probably require deleting social media, not forever necessarily, but for a certain period of time to experience the benefits of that. Uh, understanding that it's not necessarily a forever solution, it might be a for now solution and respect the the kind of cadence of life and that life is cyclical and has seasons. And maybe you're in a season where you can shut off and you can go inward and maybe you're having like a winter season where you're more writing your next book or planning the next season of the podcast and you don't need to be as communicative about uh you know your audience or your community you could go hibernate but then you might have a summer season where you're now showing and sharing everything that you've discovered and learned and you're going to be showing up more and spending much more time on it and so it's a lot more about respecting the seasonality of your business, the seasonality of our lives as well. And um, so like, I'm not in the one hour club right now because I just launched a course and I, you know, there's a bunch of, I'm, I'm launching a new community platform. And so that is intentional. And so it's really more about using technology intentionally and feeling good about it. Like I, the goal is not to like throw your phone away. It's actually to love it again. It's to be like, this is something that serves me and helps me feel more connected, more present, more productive. And I use it in a way that that makes me feel good and not distracted or distractible or unfocused. Um, so I know I just mentioned a lot yeah. of different things, yeah. but I, I will say with social media, one thing that's been so helpful is just turning off the notifications. 
Like, I don't think I'm to the place where I'm going to just delete the app completely. And like Ryan has done that before. He'll delete Instagram for like a week or whatever. But just turning off the notifications, because just just having that number one, like is it'll drive you insane, right? You're going to open the app and then you get distracted again. So I just like LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, I turned those off back in, I think in May when I met you and it's been a game changer. That's huge. And that is actually one of the 15 phone smart habits that I teach. And so the the big idea with that is that our phones are designed to be smarter than us. And we can actually learn to become smarter than our phones with just a few habits or a few uh, decisions. And one of them is actually to turn off all non-essential notifications. So every single notification you've ever gotten has been a distraction from what you are already focusing on. Sometimes you want that. Sometimes you want the alarm to go off when you're boiling water to distract you from doing the laundry or, you know, being in the other room, you know, doing whatever, because you don't want the water to boil over. Right. And so like notifications are important, but most of them are not essential. Most of them are nice to haves or even like you don't even want them. Like I've never wanted a Postmates 30% off, you know, discount day (laughs) notification, right? And so some of them are straight up advertising. And so it's really helpful to acknowledge that every time your awareness gets diverted by a notification, there's a big cost to that. And the cost part, at least part of the cost scientists have discovered is in what's called attention residue. So attention residue is interesting because it's basically like every time you go from one task to another task without completing the task. So let's say you're focused on writing an email and then you get a phone call and you haven't completed the email. So it still feels like an open loop. There's a certain amount of your attention that is that stays in that first task. That's why they call it residue. So it kind of is left behind and your subconscious mind is still actually working on the email. It's still working on that initial task. And so over the course of a period of a 16 hour waking day, let's say, if you are continually going from one task to the next without closing loops, without being deliberate, you're actually leaving all this attention residue behind. And that's why you feel wired and tired. That's why you feel kind of Mm. like you were busy all day, but you don't really know what you did can feel kind of like flustered and overwhelmed. Yeah. That that's kind of recipe for, for burnout. Hey, biohackers. Are you tired of the daily stressors that seem to never end feeling overwhelmed, anxious, or just unable to relax? Maybe all of the above. Well, we do have something very special to share with you today. We are really excited to introduce TroCalm by our friends over at Transcriptions. It is an all-natural solution for reducing anxiety, improving sleep, and supporting complete relaxation. TroCalm is designed specifically to help you find your inner zen and reclaim your peace of mind. TroCalm contains a powerful blend of four key ingredients, kava, B3 GABA, CBD, and CBG, all of which enhance natural GABA production, our calming neurotransmitter in the brain, and so much more. Let's break it down. So kava. 
Kava is derived from the roots of the kava plant. It is a natural ingredient that has been used for centuries in the South Pacific to promote relaxation and reduce stress. You may remember my story about drinking kava for the first time in Hawaii and feeling oh so relaxed. TroCalm brings you the calming benefits of kava in a convenient and safe form. Now, B3 GABA. Taking GABA supplements don't usually work because most forms can't cross the blood-brain barrier. But with vitamin B3 attached to the GABA, it can cross into the brain and efficiently increase GABA levels to help calm your mind and reduce that constant feeling of tension. Lastly, CBD and CBG. These cannabinoids increase our feelings of bliss, protect our brain, decrease pain, and decrease anxiety by reacting with our natural endocannabinoid system without the psychoactive effects. Whether you're dealing with the demands of a busy lifestyle, struggling to get a good night's sleep, or simply seeking a moment of tranquility in this fast-paced world, Trocalm is here to help. You may be wondering, how do we personally use it? Well, what I really love is that I can split up my dose depending on the occasion. I may only take a quarter of a trochee to ease some anxiety during the day, one half trochee for a long cross-country flight to stay relaxed and comfortable, or I may take an entire trochee before bed when I want to get the best quality sleep possible. It is really up to you how it can best fit into your daily lifestyle. If this has piqued your interest, we have an exclusive offer just for you. When you visit Troscriptions.com and use the promo code BiohackerBabes, you'll receive 10% off your order. Again, that's Troscriptions.com, discount code BiohackerBabes for 10% off. And before I forget, no, you won't get a blue tongue. This trochee is actually orange. So you may get a slight orange tint, but nothing more than you would get from an orange-flavored candy. But you don't eat candy, right? Just trochees. All right, biohackers, to your peace and calmness. Yeah, I definitely have a lot of residue. (laughs) (laughs) I've gotten into this really terrible habit where I don't have patience for the speed of my internet. So while one page is loading, I'll zoom to another tab and do stuff there, and then I'll move to another. <laughs> it's a terrible relationship, and I would love to hear what the, what this is doing to my brain. But I'm sure it's actually worsening the problem, making me even more impatient down the line. How do we go Potentially. In and and get out of that loop? Yeah, so I think the way I like to think about this behavior and all behaviors is everything that you do is going to make it easier to do that thing next time. So it's almost like placing a vote for that pathway. So if you're choosing to distract yourself, let's say, if you're choosing to go from one task to the next before completing that task without having deliberate focus, You're actually training your brain to go from a moment of presence to distraction next time. You're actually training your brain for distraction. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you're doing by opening up all these tabs. If you're just kind of preparing to, you know, sometimes you need to open up a bunch of tabs and then you choose which one to focus on. There's a certain amount of planning and preparation that sometimes we need to do. And so it's not kind of like a hard, fast rule. But if what happens is, is you go through your day and you're like, I'm going to open up my computer and I'm going to write that new presentation, or I'm going to do outreach for more podcast guests. And then the moment you do it, you see a text and, and you go to that text instead, 
and then you see an email and you go to that email instead, you're allowing yourself to be distracted and you're actually practicing distraction. So what you want to do, exactly. You're putting a vote in the next time I get a text or an email, I'm going to distract myself from what I had already decided to do to this new thing. So what you want to do is actually practice deliberate attention. And that is literally a practice. I call it one of the phone smart muscles actually in, in my course, because it is a muscle that you want to build. And most of us have a very flimsy one after not having been taught (laughs) how to use this amazing technology. And so you want to, as part of deliberate focus, it's like making a intention. Okay. What am I going to do on my computer or what am I going to do on my phone? I'm going to text my mom. I love you. You know, or I'm going to like, whatever it is you've decided to do, you notice when you feel the, the, the desire for distraction to come up, you notice when you see that text or that notification and you want to do it instead. And then you refocus on the initial intention. Uh, and then you still just text your mom. And so mm-hmm. practicing that when you note it, when you see a distraction and practicing actually staying on the initial intended task, that is practicing focus and being able to say no to distractions. And by doing that, it doesn't need to be with digital habits, honestly. It's just like, it's going to practicing that muscle with anything. It's almost like a form of meditation, right? Like when you do mindfulness meditation or mantra-based meditation, that's literally all it is. You're focusing on your breath or you're focusing on a mantra or you're focusing on a, a vision. And anytime you you get distracted with your thoughts, you just gently bring yourself back to it. And so you don't need to be closing your eyes in lotus position to be practicing that. You can do that constantly throughout your day. And, and that that's how you build up that, that deliberate focus muscle. I like the All meditation right. analogy. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It really is like, it's an exercise that you have to keep doing. Just, All right. A, a lot of awareness. I got to definitely practice that. I'm just curious this is kind of a tangent, but what are your thoughts on like what's happening to the younger generation that's growing up with this? Like they're not learning these skills at five, 10 years old. I mean, the three of us didn't grow up with all of this technology. What is Yeah. It's, it's, I would say like at the top level, it's super scary. And a lot of the research is really bad. And, you know, these kids who are, given these smart screens, whether it's an iPad, you know, an iPad is the cheapest babysitter, right? So (laughs) everybody, not everybody, but it's easy, I would say for a tired, exhausted, stressed out parent to want to give their child a way to, you know, kind of that, uh, what's the words kind of like that, uh, or the mouth sucker. Why am I not thinking of the term? It's like like a a pacifier. Stop crying. Yes. It's a digital pacifier. Ah. Exactly. That's the word. So, so that's easy and that's why people do it. Um, But there is a big cost. And I think that that's what people are not as privy to. There are a lot of organizations that are really trying to uh, teach parents and teachers, even some of the uh, consequent negative consequences and the challenges here, like common sense media has a program called wait till eighth, where you actually uh, want your child to wait until eighth grade to give them a, a smartphone device. And so I think those, 
uh, and there's some legislation as well that that is being worked on being passed. But um, you know, it's really educating the parents about what they're doing because these kids who have developing brains, uh, their brains are developing in this hyper-stimulated state, and we don't know really what's going to happen long-term, but based on what we find so far is that we've got incredibly high rates of depression, of loneliness, of suicidal ideation, uh, anxiety uh, disorders, and all of that coincides with the um, launch of the iPad. And as the smartphones got smarter, I don't remember what year, but there's there's this researcher um, who studies this this in kids um, over the last like 15 years. And so it, it's a really big problem. But I also think that it is the parents that we need to focus on. Um, kids are going to be kids and they only have as much control as their authorities uh, give them. And so often it's super common for parents to be like, oh, my kids have this problem or I can't get them off their screens. But then if you were to look at their own behaviors, you know, they're using their phone at the dinner table. They're checking their, they're working when they're supposed to have family time. And so Mm -hmm. there is a lot of self-reflection that I think needs to happen from parents and actually uh, modeling the healthy behavior themselves. And that's where I focus um, is on, you know, the individual, uh, the, you know, the adults. Can you believe summer is already over? It always seems to fly by. And I mean, who doesn't love summertime? I feel like it's a great chance to break away from your daily grind. You can enjoy life a little bit more with friends and family. Although all the fun aside, we sometimes are a little bit tempted to fall off our healthy routines, right? In the summer, we have longer days, so we tend to stay up later. We might have more irregular eating habits, maybe a little more indulging on vacations. Hey, it happens to all of us. But As vacation season winds down, it's time to get back on track with our health. And I think a great thing to focus on as we transition into the fall season is sleep. Sleep for me is always number one. Of course, eating healthy, exercise, stress management, all of that is helpful too. But I think focusing on sleep is a great way to kick off the season. And just one interesting fact about sleep to mention, drinking more than two servings of alcohol per day for men and more than one serving per day for women can decrease sleep quality by 39.2%. And that is according to the Sleep Foundation survey. And that's not even mentioning all the other maybe indulgent food or late night eating effects. So remember, sleep is the key to your body's rejuvenation and repair process. It controls hunger and weight loss hormones, boosts energy levels, impacts countless other vital functions. Good night's sleep will improve your well-being much more than anything else. So this fall, we're focusing on sleep. And that's where something like magnesium can come in. Most of us are not getting enough magnesium in our diet because the soil is depleted. Our food supply is just not providing the magnesium we need. And magnesium is really, really important for falling asleep, staying asleep, and even waking up refreshed. Now, I'm not saying to go to any store and just pick up a magnesium off the shelf. I would recommend... Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. This product specifically contains all seven forms of magnesium, which help with all those processes of sleep that I mentioned. And really, the sleep benefits are remarkable. Once your sleep is optimized, you'll find it's easier to tackle everything else when it comes to your health, right? You have more energy to go to the gym, more energy to cook, go grocery shopping, all those things. So trust me, it's a game changer. All right. So visit magbreakthrough.com, Biohacker Babes, and 
you can save 10% with code biohackerbabes10. The special offer is only available at magbreakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes. And I will put that link in the show notes. So go ahead and scroll down. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, yeah. that's wise because the kids have no idea what's happening. They're just like, well, someone told me I could do this. Yeah. <laughs> Mom's doing otherwise? it. Yeah. Exactly. I, I remember very distinctly when I saw my first iPhone, I, I used to be a performer and I was on a tour. This is in 2008. And the first person to have an iPhone on that bus, I remember she was like, you couldn't talk to her. She was just totally checked out. You said her name. She didn't hear you. And we were all like, what is that thing? I'm like, we just went from, it's like that was yesterday. It's like, well, I don't even remember what I was doing before that. I just remember everything after and everything has <laughs> been about the phone ever since yeah. then. It's like, we don't even yeah. know what life is without mm-hmm. it. And ironically, there was a this beautiful hike that I went on. I was visiting Renee in Vegas, went hiking like across the state line in Arizona, four hour hike, gorgeous, like to this beautiful um, stream of water. And I remember consciously choosing to take some pictures and then put my phone away so that I, so I could be present. At the end of that four hour hike, I realized that my phone was gone. I had dropped it and I was so present that it was left in another state, a four hour hike away. <laughs> I was like, Oh what my is, gosh, what's the lesson here? I was super present <laughs> at an amazing time. I was like, I have no phone. <laughs> so uh. I, why I'm mentioning this is that you said it's about loving your phone or being in a better relationship with it. And I think also something that comes up in health coaching clients will like, I had this one client that taped, like duct taped his kitchen. So he wouldn't go in there. Mm. Like you're not creating a good relationship with it. We should be able to interact and still be in right relationship. It's not about avoiding it completely. It's like, can we be with it in right relationship? Yeah, absolutely. Thoughts on that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so t- two things from that. First is that actually a lot of people use their phones more often than they should or than they want to actually because they have had a trauma, you could say, being without mm-hmm. it, like your story. You know, I would imagine, I don't know what happened with you, but I would imagine that maybe after not being aware that I didn't have my phone on me and then losing it and having to buy a new one and download all the content, like that's like a lowercase t traumatic experience. And so (laughs) I would imagine that you might then be a little bit more hypervigilant or maybe vigilant about keeping it on you and knowing where it is in the future as a learned experience as you know, that that could be helpful for you. And um, unfortunately, that tendency can really get in the way for people to feel like, well, I wish I could charge my phone, you know, not in bed, but you know, what if there's an emergency and one time there was an emergency and, you know, my mom fell or, you know, all this. And so I wish that I could, you know, be without it, but I really can't. Or one time my boss needed me and my phone was dead and I got yelled at. And so, you know, those experiences do happen. And that is probably one of the biggest challenges that I face as a coach to help people to realize that, Hey, you're not going to be a hundred percent perfect, but like the frequency of those things that happen are so rare that it's important for you to actually think about what happens 99% of your life on your day to day and actually plan for that and create a scenario that works uh, so that you're not just living a life that is worst case scenario. And so there's a lot of, um, 
slight adjustments that can be really helpful where it's like, okay, if you really do feel like you have a sick family member or maybe you are on call or something, let's say you're like a nurse. I've had clients that are, you know, in the medical field, like maybe you don't charge it in bed. Maybe you charge your phone at night across the room. So you can't reach it from bed, but you can still hear it if there is an emergency. And so there are ways to actually get your needs met and feel safe without being too attached to your phone. So that that was what came to mind from from your story. Um, Mm -hmm. And then about, what was the other thing? So a little bit of a compromise, which maybe we can come back to. But the second part was just being like in a a loving relationship with it, not just avoiding it completely. Yeah, exactly. So on that, one thing that I found so interesting about people who have really healthy habits, really healthy digital habits, is that they don't rely purely on self-control. We often think when it comes to healthy habits that it's all about grit and willpower and like saying no to the bad thing. Like I'm not going to eat that donut. Like, and so there is a lot of benefit to that. And that's, um, there's, it's worth strengthening those muscles as well because they truly are muscles, but that discounts a whole other side of it that is actually way easier and easier to implement and and more long-term, which is on environment design. And so the way I like to think about this is that if you can actually design your environment to support, to make it easy for you to do the right thing or the healthy thing or the thing you want to do and make it difficult or impossible to do the thing that you don't want to do or the thing that's unhealthy, then you don't even need to use willpower or self-control to make it happen. It's just like natural. And so my guess, I would say for this and out for the scenario that you're talking about for this, this guy who uh, taped up his kitchen so he couldn't go and get the snacks or, you know, whatever it is he didn't want to eat. You know, I think that it's, you know, if you actually just created a kitchen environment where the only thing you have are what you want to eat, then you don't need to actually create this block. You know, you don't need to tape it up. It's just kind of naturally there. And so, you know, designing your environment, and that's kind of when it comes to digital habits in particular, it's making your bedroom a phone-free zone, uh, not walking around with your phone, having like a place to charge it, um, having specific hours of the day that you specifically are on and specific days that you are off, especially in this kind of work from home era. These are all various phone smart habits that create boundaries that that can be really, really helpful. But then you're just creating an environment where you're more naturally going to do what you want to do and maybe not be perfect with it, but but it's going to be the default as opposed to something that you need to constantly opt into. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that resonates so much with like my my nutrition background, like the donut analogy. It's like instead of just having a plate of donuts sitting out all the time and having to use that willpower, it's like, well, maybe you eat the, you know, protein, fat, fiber that sets your blood sugar up so you don't crave the donut. Maybe you hide the donut so you don't see it. Like, yeah, the environmental piece is so, can be easier. You're right. The willpower, like you only have so much willpower in a day. So exactly. don't burn through that. Yeah. And it, that. and again, like to be clear, it's, that's not the only, that's not a hundred percent of the solution. That's just where I feel like people dismiss or ignore. They're like, Oh, like I can't say no. And so I'm just going to give up. Well, take advantage of the part that you can set up before you have the willpower 
and use that while you continue to build up those willpower muscles, which are other other phone smart muscles. So it's it's definitely doing yeah. both. But you know, if you are going to go to the gym, let's say like you're not going to start with a hundred pound weight. Like just start with the five pound weight and like just practice going to the gym and doing some form of exercise, and then you right. know you've got you can grow. Yeah, yeah. start yeah. low and go slow. Yeah. You highlighted a bunch of opportunities for me, but there's one in particular that you're reminding me. I I think I just need to be a little more creatively oriented around. I have my phone in my bathroom. I want it to be even further away from me, but I use it to play sounds at night, like waves. And if I move it further, then I can't hear it. And so I'm just realizing now, like I haven't had a creative solution. Like I could just buy a thing that makes it. Buy a sound machine. Move my phone. Buy a sound machine. There's your answer. I haven't done it. (laughs) So I'm making a list. Super common. I mean, it's, you'd be so surprised. Like a lot of people, when I do say one of the phone smart habits, which is like make your bedroom a phone free zone, 99% of people are like, but I use my phone as my alarm clock. As if like that's the end of the story. And I'm like, okay, well, there's this $10 alarm clock you can buy on Amazon that I literally, actually it's right here. Here's my $10 alarm clock that I bought. And this allows you to not need to use your phone as your alarm. And, you know, a lot of people don't think about that and, you know, and it's okay because in general, there hasn't been like an, a conversation around digital wellness, right? Like we kind of all were yeah. given these literally godlike devices and nobody taught us how to use it. And so we're all discovering years later that it's not great. <laughs> and so it's like <laughs> it's only it's only kind of after the fact like when you're when you're put in a car and driving a car for the first time, like you've already gone through driving school, you've already driven with your family member for, you know, 6 months before you could do it on your own, like there's a certain path to do it in a way that's safe. And there is no path for that with this. And so we're kind of all learning it the hard way. Yeah. One yeah, day we had Radio point. Shack and one day everything was on our phones. Like, <laughs> yeah. Apple was born. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I would love to talk about like the book end of our days. I think like that is a good place for people to maybe start like what, how they're using their phone or not using their phone in the morning and then what they're doing before bed. Sure. Maybe you can share a tip for morning and evening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that routines are incredibly important, uh, routines and rituals. And I believe that the morning routine begins in the evening. So in order for you to have a healthy morning routine, you actually have to have your evening routine dialed in first. And so it really starts the night before. And so what you, you, I mean, I can get specific and I actually have a whole evening routine uh, video that I, that I've made. That's like free on my YouTube. So you can see my evening routine and all the steps in it. And there's a bunch, but, but yeah, we can link, we can link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Your, your YouTube is awesome. There's so much, so many great videos. Oh, thank you. Definitely share that with everyone. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. So I think the most important thing when it comes to the end of the day and bookending is actually having a wind down routine. And so that can be yours can be different than anybody else's but having one is a million times better than not having one personally for me i also have an alarm at night that is actually more important than my morning alarm 
So my evening alarm is my alarm to remind me to stop working. Because if I don't hear that alarm, suddenly it's going to be 8 or 9 p.m. and I haven't eaten anything and I'm still working. And let me just finish that one thing that I am still in the flow on. And then suddenly at 9 p.m. I'm eating. And then I'm like, well, I still want to like wind down and hang out with, with, you know, my fiance. And so then we end up staying up way later and then kind of ruins the whole next day. And so it all starts by turning off by making a decision. Like I'm not going to work past 6 PM or I'm going to shut my computer down at 7 PM. Like that has to be a decision that you make. Otherwise it will creep into the evening and prevent you from, uh, all of the kind of downstream downstream habits. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then that's great. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Lauren, are you taking notes? Just kidding. All the notes. All the notes. <laughs> I do I do have a wind down. I call it my preset. I go through my bedroom and it's like I have all these little things that I do, and it's like my ritual to tell my brain it's time. Like I close the blinds, pull the pillows off the bed, turn the mm. red light on. <laughs> but mm, nice. I mean, I there's just always so many ways we could do it better, is what I'm thinking right now. Yeah, and same. And and it's something that I continue to optimize myself. You know, I'm definitely still working on a lot of this stuff, but it has been a huge game changer for me to see the difference when I do stop when I want to. It's kind of it's also taking into account Parkinson's law, which if you're not familiar, is this law that states that the amount of time that something takes, like your workday, let's say, and all the things in it. The amount of time something takes expands to fill the amount of time that you give it. And so what that means is that if you actually give yourself till 9 p.m. to get everything done or to check off your list, it's going to take that long. But if you give yourself till 6 p.m., you might actually get as much done but have three extra hours. Um, And so Parkinson's law can be really powerful because it actually takes advantage of our natural desire to procrastinate. You know, there's some part of us that's always going to be like, yeah, I really want to do all these things, but you kind of, we're kind of path of least resistance uh, beings. And so we often still wait. Yeah. We'll still wait until the night before something's due to actually do the research or, you know, sign up for that thing or whatever it is. And so Parkinson's law takes advantage of that and is like, it creates an artificial deadline where it's like, I'm actually, I need to be done way sooner than I, than the default time it needs to be done. Yeah. That, that can be really helpful as well to maximize your time. Yeah. That resonates a lot because I, I do. I really do fill my time based on what I create. So setting some kind of boundary. Yeah. I actually, I have this video presentation that I'm working on, Lauren, you know, the video it's due on the 20th. I kind of wish it was due tomorrow because I just should just get it done. You know what I mean? Like, don't give me the deadline a week out. Just So I'm going to try and just do it today and be done with it. But yeah, I think we're all guilty of that Mm -hmm. filling the time. And, and for me, I think I I do pretty well with the evening routine and it actually just hit me that it might be partially because I'm on the West coast and like most of my family and friends and clients are on the East coast. So for me, turning my computer off at seven, it's pretty easy. Like no one is texting, calling, emailing me after that time versus Lauren. I'm the one bothering her when she should be going to bed. I know. I'm sorry. I got to be better about that. But then in the morning I wake up to my world 
my world has been awake for four or five hours. Mm. I'm like behind. Mm-hmm. So for gotcha. me, I, I'm going to start working <laughs> on my morning routine. And and Tommy, I heard you say on a video somewhere, like, you know, maybe even just starting with 20 minutes in the morning without your phone. I mean, an hour is ideal, but maybe we're just starting with 20 minutes. And I'm, that is my homework. I'm going to work okay. on that. Got it. I'll follow up with you on that. I'll yeah. hold you to it. And I feel yeah. like we have homework as business partners across the country. Because yes, yeah. she is the, the last person that I talk to at the end mm. of the night. Like even after my fiance, I'm like, got to check in with Renee business. Yeah. I'm like and eating always, dinner and you're going yeah, to bed. It's always 1030. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I'm going to do some emails. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so, it's really tough. Yeah. It's 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 tough. and and But it, it does create new opportunities to be like, okay, if with our two time zones combined, where do they overlap in a way that can work best for us? And then how can we get everything accomplished within that window? It creates like an, an interesting question and challenge. I think for a lot of people that are in, in multiple time zones, you know, I'd be curious to see what that might look like for you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it's an advantage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Use it to our advantage. For sure. I'm curious what your thoughts are on weaving and microdosing with this. If that's something that you've entertained, if you've had some experience in that with your coaching, obviously we get. I mean, the big obvious one is more neuroplasticity and like more space to make these decisions or exercise control. But just curious what your experience has been. If you've great question. Yeah, I would say in over the last two months, I could say I've been microdosing about 400 milligrams uh, every morning or uh, every other morning give or take, and I'll maybe take one or two weeks off of it and then back on every day. And I found it incredibly helpful. I feel like personally, I feel more spaciousness in my day. I feel a little bit lighter. I feel calmer. I feel a little bit happier, honestly. And it, it is definitely a microdose because I'm not feeling any of the effects of the psilocybin, which, yeah, you know, 400, 400 gram. That's a lot. Yeah. So I actually... I actually have this spray that's right here. It's from Nootropics and I don't know what strain they use, but I don't feel it. Whereas with other strains, I'll take only like 0.2 grams and I'll, I'll feel it. And so, you know, it's, it's so variable that for this one in particular, I do four sprays and yeah, it's amazing. And, uh, I've been experimenting with a a bunch of different brands actually somehow, like everybody in my life now is a, uh, uh, like psychedelic mushroom founder. And I've got like five <laughs> to eight amazing people in my life that just give it to me. <laughs> and, and like, nice. I, I've been sampling it. And so, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been such an a, amazing new industry. And I, I'm such a big, uh, I'm really excited about where it's going. I think it's amazing for also like healing trauma and on a day-to-day basis, just kind of supporting your psyche. And I think per- perhaps like getting off your devices. So it's just, I'm very curious to see like what else do you experience in the next couple of years with it? Because so I'm a microdose coach, which is why I bring it up. But mm. I'm always very hesitant about pulling in like these magic pill solutions because I think it's important to establish the behaviors first. But because of the effect on the brain, the neuroplasticity, it's like we're trying to create a new habit. It's brilliant to pair them. And I, I noticed for myself, when I microdose, I don't want to be on my phone as much. I actually have like a huge, like somatic aversion to multitasking. Mm. 
So it's more just like a curiosity. Yeah. I'm like excited to see where this goes and if it can really help our digital habits. I, I think that's really great. You know, I haven't explored that really with my clients, but just anecdotally with other friends, I had multiple people tell me like, hey, I feel like less addicted to my addictions. You know, I'm drinking less, I'm smoking less and people that have been sampling the same stuff that I have. And so it, it has been really fun to see. And yeah, I mean, the experience of it really does just make you more naturally grounded and present and deliberate in your attention to the point where not doing that it has a sort of pain to it. There's yeah. a sort of like hurt to to you know the overstimulation. I've definitely felt that myself. And you know, maybe maybe what could be interesting to share is number one, love that idea. I would love to. I haven't explored this business legally, I guess, you know, with clients. So maybe I can pick That's your brain thing. about it. That's the thing. But um, yeah, so I'd be curious to chat about that. But, you know, I think what I like about what you're saying makes me think of what I call the seven planes of existence. And this is a little bit more on my like spiritual problem solving side, which is another aspect of my work that we probably haven't talked about, but I'll just share this framework and then why it came to mind. So the the first plane of existence are inorganic compounds. So like magnesium and charcoal. And those are things that are really helpful for us to take because they help us heal. You know, that magnesium might help us sleep or charcoal can help us detox, right? And, you know, so many other uh, inorganic, well, actually charcoal is organics, but so, you know, you know what I'm talking about, like salts. Yeah. Uh, and then the second plane of existence are like plants and bacteria. So, you know, kind of antibiotics, come from the kind of second plane of existence, you might take chamomile to kind of help you relax. And, you know, so the second plane of existence is really helpful. And then the third plane of existence, that's where like humans live. So if you're going to like go to the dentist and get, you know, your teeth cleaned or get like a cavity filled, like you're using metal tools from the first plane, but using a person's expertise that he learned in the third plane of existence to help you heal, you know, and solve your problems. And, and those are the three planes of existence that most people focus on. And then there's, there's four higher planes of existence. And so, you know, the fourth plane is where you might have like your spirit guides, you might find like animal uh, spirits. That's like where shamans go when you do ayahuasca, they connect to like the fourth plane of existence. That's also where you can connect to your ancestors, you know, if you do that type of work. The fifth plane of existence is where like your angels are, they say, or where you might find the ascended masters, like where you can find the teachings of Buddha or Jesus or actually have relationships with them in a meditative state. And then the sixth plane of existence are where the actual laws of the universe are, like the law of cause and effect, the law of mathematics the law of music, like these are all things that exist in the universe as big laws. And those exist in the sixth plane of existence. And we can actually access those in the meditative state as well. And then the highest plane, the seventh plane is that kind of source that it's called, or, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the creator of all that is, or, you know, the, the kind of highest, you know, all those kind of spiritual language is kind of the highest plane. And I bring all that up because the truth is, is that all seven of those planes can heal. 
And so it's not like one of those planes is better than another. There's a lot of people out there that maybe use prayer and they connect to the seventh plane and they like talk to God and they say, Hey, can you, you know, I ask for your help on clarity for something or for healing and it works, you know, and people get a lot of value out of it. Or might people might go to their cabinet and look at all their nutraceuticals and, you know, their probiotics, which is coming from the second plane of existence. Um, and, you know, and that might help heal. And so, and so, you know, mushrooms, those, I don't know if they'd be third plane or second plane, depending on the level of consciousness that fungi like actually, actually has. Um, I'd have to check with my, my teachers, but you know, that's definitely one of the ways to heal is to use plant medicine to support our, our, you know, our healing, our process. And so I'm um, agnostic when it comes to, you know, the planes of existence. Like I use all of them and, you know, I will, I'll go to the doctor to get the antibiotic if I have to, like, I will have the kind of inorganic compounds and I will connect to the higher, you know, the higher guides and spirits as needed to get the guidance as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm all about using all of it. Sounds yeah. like a toolbox and all the tools are useful in certain situations. I love that. Exactly. I wasn't yeah. familiar with that. It's very cool. Yeah. It's a great approach. Love that. Well, Tommy, thanks for letting us pick your brain today. This was awesome. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah. One final question for you. If you can leave our audience with one piece of advice, something they can start doing today to optimize their health and wellness can be related to digital habits or totally different wherever you want to go with it. I mean, maybe the first thing you should try if you haven't already is try microdosing and see how that feels to uh, naturally wean off of um, your phone or digital habits. Maybe maybe that's something that's worth trying if you haven't already. <laughs> I love that. There you go. There I you go. It. I love it. I, I will say when I've done mushroom journeys, I forget I have a phone. I forget I have it. That's, that's amazing. Nice. I, that's I feel like I read once that... Uh, somebody noticed that your phone is never in your dreams, like that no one's ever had a dream that had a phone in it. Isn't that weird? Oh my gosh. That's wild. Yeah. I never thought about it, but you're right. I don't think yeah. I have. I don't know what that means, but. Interesting. <laughs> Food yeah. for thought. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's going to stick with me. That's fascinating. Yeah. Cause I have some crazy dreams. Yes. Oh man. I, I like that. I was a real estate agent in LA the other night. I was selling Snoop Dogg's condo on the beach. I have just weird dreams. Weird dream. I don't. I can't explain that one. Hope you got Maybe a lot of money for that one. Prophecy. <laughs> yeah. Invite yeah. invite invite us when that happens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All uh, right. Well, um, Tommy, can you tell our audience where they can find more of you? Yeah, sure. So you can go to uh, Brick's website, which is gobricknow.com. When you go to that website, you can join our community for free and get a bunch of free resources on how to master your urges, master your time, and master your mindset. There's also a free quiz and assessment that allows you to see how much control you have over your phone or if your phone is controlling you. And depending on what you get, uh, you get some guidance on how to change that. Yes. It's very revealing. And I was not pleased with my score, but you know what? It's opportunity. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's a starting well, point. Your Lauren, yeah. yours was better than mine. So 
At least now we know where we're starting and we can work from there and take it again. Yeah, great. So we'll link to all of that in the show notes. And um, like I said before, your YouTube channel is just great and love all that you're doing. Thank you for all your work. You're changing the world. Thank you so much. Great to have you as well. Honored to be here. Awesome. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.